Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. <laughs> yes, I can clearly see that I rolled a one. <laughs> While the Yeti determines my fate, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Sanity Damage. They're an amazing D&D actual play live show. The campaign features a high seas adventure full of piracy, steampunk, and Lovecraftian horror elements. You can find Sanity Damage on any podcasting platform or watch the party live on YouTube. Catch them bi-weeklies on Thursdays at 7.30 Eastern Time on YouTube at The Homebrew d and I'll throw it in the show notes to make it easy. Oh, and never let a Yeti be the DM. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I have a wonderful episode for you today. And uh, if you're listening to this when it first came out, it should be right before the Christmas holiday for those who celebrate. Um, and uh, uh, for those that don't, it's still a perfect time to go out and uh, buy this writer's book because it's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's something that uh, I'm going to make sure that uh, my kids have. I think my oldest uh, would really love it. And uh, in any event, without further ado, uh, the, the writer and co-creator of Cooking with Monsters, uh, please welcome to the podcast, Jordan Alseka. Jordan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited. This uh, I've I've loved what Comic Book Yeti in general has been doing for years. So uh, it's it's great to get a chance to talk and and talk about the book. Uh, well, no, I I uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I know that um, I think closer to the time when when the book came out, Cody, one of uh, Comic Book Yeti's contributors, I, I think it was Cody, did a written interview with you and, and Vivian about you know specifically about cooking with monsters. Um, but I still wanted to get a chance to talk to you on the podcast, maybe dig in, you know, a little bit more about, uh, some of the aspects of it. Um, yeah, I saw, you know, just scrolling through Twitter and following you. Um, so I think I, I first, uh, came across your name, uh, when I had, uh, did a written interview with, um, I guess it was Mark Bouchard because mm -hmm. they were also involved with, uh, raise hell. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's when I first kind of like came across your name and started following you. And then I think like the cover art for cooking with monsters is so good. And it's just one of those things like it's, just, it's so bright, it's colorful. The characters look interesting. I like the idea of cooking with monsters. Cause like, are they friends with monsters? Are we cooking together? Are they cooking the monsters? And so I was just like, what is this about? This looks fun. Um, and so, yeah, so then I know that I read the the written interview when it came out, and I think I'd reached out uh, to you slightly before then and said, hey, I'd still like to have you on the podcast to come and, and talk about Cooking with Monsters and your kind of journey in comics and other things that you have going on. So I really appreciate you being here. No, I'm glad to be here. Uh, like, Yeah, I'm glad the cover came across well, because it was my first, this is my first uh, publisher OGN, uh, and it was definitely an experience of, of cover by committee a little bit and having all the marketing people and, and figuring out different approaches. So I'm really happy with where we ended up, but it was, it was like a long, it, it was my first experience with how long a tail publishing can, can really have in terms of figuring all those details out. Uh, oh yeah. I, I, I can imagine, you know, when you're, if you've done anything before where you've worked with, you know, less of a team or you've kickstarted something or crowdfunding it, whatever it might be. And you're, 
kind of responsible for all those decisions and then have to do something by committee uh, at times, you know, whenever you have to pass through an editor or pass through a marketing person. But it really is a great cover. It really comes across as it looks fun. Um, the characters on it look great. The monsters on it look interesting. It, it's it's definitely eye-catching from that marketing standpoint. So I, I think it's a great cover. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy with it. It's And it kind of set a nice format that we not not like one-to-one but it, it gave us the vibe that we can use for the future books in the series uh or at least for the next one i can say did um did your co-creator did did vivian do the cover yes vivian did the cover yeah okay um i yeah i i, I it's all very consistent i know there's sometimes talk in comics with uh every once in a while someone will put a post like are you bothered if the cover art doesn't match the interior art and i i can go both ways on that it just depends on what it looks like but the cover artist is very consistent with everything in terms of the interior so i thought vivian had done it yeah um so before we get i i have a, a, a couple of things i wanted to ask you about the process of creating this um but first why don't you can you tell the listeners just what is cooking with monsters all about so Cooking with Monsters is a fantasy YA uh, adventure comic. It is It follows Hana Ozawa, who is a uh, chef in training, but not just a normal chef. She's training to become a warrior chef. So she goes to the Gourmand Academy of Culinary Combat, uh, where they teach young chefs to both fight monsters and then create meals from the spoils. Uh, and so the, the book follows her first year, along with her best friend, Bobby. Uh, they are both um, second generation from uh, different nations in the archipelago islands, which are coded to different Asian nations. Um, and they, you know, they face prejudice, they face new cuisines, new students, uh, all, sort of all sorts of challenges through their first year of schooling. Um, and so it's very inspired by, I mean, a lot, I mean, it's the classic, you know, kids at, a, at I wouldn't say a magical school, because uh, it is a bit more of I don't want to say grounded because there are giant monsters in it, but it's less magical, more uh, just straight fantasy. Uh, it's it's my take on fantasy just because I, it's not a genre I'm traditionally very interested in, but this was sort of what would make it interesting to me. And and it was uh, Warrior Chefs, apparently. Well, you know, you say like it's not very grounded because of like, you know, the monsters in it, and the, but it it. It does seem very practical, though. You, you know, it's, sometimes fantasy is not practical um i mean it doesn't have to be it, it you know it, it can you can set up the rules of any world and then just let them run um yeah. but the idea of you know they're they're warrior chefs um I, you know i thought I, I i found very interesting i mean from from when we like kind of like the the open where we first meet the characters and are introduced to them and then it jumps you know, a little bit to them at their first year of school. And one of the first things they have to do at the school is their, um, not an entrance exam. They say that it's a placement exam and they have to like cook a meal, but it's, it's, you know, for having, for a story with like multiple main characters, not just uh, Hannah and Bobby, but the other folks that they meet, um, you know, it, it's, it's so well, you know, paced. It, 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 it everyone kind of gets their due. Um, at least in, in this first book, I felt like, and I, I really appreciated that because I felt like I got to spend some time and meet everybody. No, it was important that we wanted because we wanted it to feel like a school and it could have we, we, we talked about how many students there should be. I think if this were 
uh, one of the manga, which was a big inspiration for us, stuff like Naruto and My Hero Academia. Those are those are books with even bigger casts. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of fan favorites. But we wanted it to be focused. We wanted to make sure that if we were introducing characters, they had a purpose, even if it's small. I think some of the characters will get a chance to to do more in the future. But we wanted to make sure everyone that appears here appears with purpose. And it, the general response has seemed to be that that worked out, which, which is nice to hear. Right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it worked out great. Um, and, and I really appreciated, like, uh, you know, the introductions, um, you know, especially in terms of the characters with, uh, I, I think when Hannah and Bobby, like, first come in and one of the characters, you know, they talk about, like, pronouns and somebody right away, they say, like, oh, my pronouns are they, them. It's, it's, just, it's just a nice moment in terms of an introduction. It's a diverse cast. But everyone is, um, it has such a unique, you know, personality. It doesn't feel like anybody's here to serve the plot, right? It feels like these characters are here because, um, it, they belong. And I just, I just really appreciated how it was all introduced. I felt like it, it was just sometimes those things can be handled if somebody is ham fisted is the wrong word, but, um, it, it felt natural. It felt like, oh, this is how, you know, Teens talk. Yeah, no, I mean, we wanted to make sure that um, as far as diversity, it wasn't even, I mean, we're, we're a diverse creative team. Fortunately, we had a lot of diversity in editorial in terms of development, but really it's just food is universal and food is so culturally specific. We wanted to make sure that if we were going to talk about recipes or different cuisines, that it was one, as one-to-one -one as possible. I mean, it's a, it's a fantasy world. There are differences from our own, but we didn't want it to just be what happens in a lot of works where it's just, you know, colorblind casting for the sake of it. We wanted to be like, no, these are tied to things we have. Um, if, if it were one to one to reality, Hana is Japanese. Bobby is Vietnamese. But but we wanted to build on the idea that in America, that all gets washed out and you are just Asian a lot of the time or with our um Zarin characters, that's not just Middle Eastern. It was specifically their refugees. They have, you know, they're based on, I'm Palestinian. And that is something that I wanted to build characters based around the specificity of region because food, even in, I mean, even in regional cultures in America, we have so much food difference, right? So it's not just sure. um, a meal is a meal. It's like, it's very much what you're about. And we wanted to make sure the characters all got to speak to that. Yeah. No, and I, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I, I'm a big food person meaning i like to eat all kinds of different food um but, uh, but you know i like i grew up in delaware county pennsylvania the southeastern corner it's a suburb of philly everybody around me when i grew up was like white blue collar they said they were ordering food from the chinese restaurant it didn't matter if it was vietnamese chinese japanese you yeah. know I, I i i your point is well taken about that but when you start to you know as i got older and started to really like to go to different restaurants and was going to school in Philly and would go to a specifically a, a, a Thai restaurant or a Japanese restaurant or by UPenn's campus, there was this like West African Senegalese place that had like this goat stew that was absolutely amazing. And I'm going to think about that as <laughs> soon as this is done because I haven't had it in like 20 years and it was so good, but all the different variations in terms of the, the cuisine. And, you know, when you, I, I, I think about that because when I, when the, the uh, the placement exam. I thought all the food sounded so good in that, in like the opening pages of the book. 
Yeah. And I, I, that was also why I wanted to tie it into the school setting, because I think, like you said, I had the same experience where a little less so because I did live in a big city, which had a bit more um, food variety. But I remember going to college in North Carolina and a lot of people that were coming from the small towns would get a lot of culture shock on just how much variety there actually is. It's not just, oh, all it's all Mexican food. No, there's Venezuelan food. And Puerto <laughs> yeah. food. And like you, you really get a chance when you get to these bigger cultural centers to to see that variety. And and food is is, I think, one of the quickest identifiers of uh, that variety between cultures. Oh, yeah. And I mean, uh, I, you know, to your point in terms of food being universal, it's like it's something we we all need and everyone every human person can at at some point in time appreciate the beauty or simplicity or the the comforting nature or just the necessity of food of a meal um and i i i you know you have that aspect of it you know compared with them also training to fight these monsters and kind of face you know challenges as they do that um because you're delving into you know how they interact with the other members of the school how they act as students and their mentor relationships because each student is is teamed with a mentor um i just thought all the the personal relationships were handled very deftly and um, it just made for a richer story, and you know, not to, and along with Vivian's artwork and the action scenes are phenomenal. You know, um, uh, there's these uh, things that she does in terms of the, uh, uh, like a lot of the like the facial expressions, especially Hannah's. That the the acting is so good. Um, I I thought was wonderful. Yeah, Vivian. Um, I. I, I felt extremely, I didn't think when I first emailed her about working on a project, she'd already at that point, I think, done some work with League of Legends and was already in development, I think, at that point on her other graphic novel series, City of Dragons. Um, and so it was sort of just a pie of the sky. I was looking for an artist. I, I wanted to do a new project. And I, I emailed her and was like, I didn't think I'd get a response, uh, but I did. And I'm, I'm just I'm grateful every day because she's brought so much to the book, even still like reading the finished book. I find. In or jokes or or character reactions in the background, like things she's put into the world that I wouldn't uh, I didn't put in the script. She just she's filled it out so much uh, with life. Yeah. And then when you can I mean, you can tell that it seems like the collaboration really worked well, like you can you can tell it in how it's uh, you know, how it's paced um, and how much the characters you know come off the page it seems like the two of you are in sync yeah we've had a great i mean we we have a discord we shoot ideas back and forth all the time and it was just i mean we were working on it for three and a half years before it was picked up um and i had had the first idea a couple years before that so it was just a long tale um but collaboratively i i always want the artist to feel as involved as possible because i think it's I have when I get commissions at shows instead of like asking for anything specific, I have a very long list of like I have a video game sketchbook and I have a, a TV sketchbook and I'll be like, here are all the shows I like. What do you like? What would you want to draw? And that is generally how I approach collaboration where because uh, I think I pitched Vivian three ideas and this is the one she liked the most. And, and that's just generally I feel like um, 
I tend to, I like to get out of the way because I, I think, you know, comics is an art form built around the artist and I want to make sure that they're getting uplifted and having fun because it is a lot of work. And so the, the as much burden of drawing as I can take off so that it's at least enjoyable. I, I, I hope I'm doing. Well, um, I want to get back to your, to your sketchbooks. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you about those. We're going to talk about them later. Uh, I, 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 I don't want to forget, but yeah, I, I, one of the things I specifically wanted to talk to you about is in terms of like the development process in and of itself, because if, if anyone hasn't read it yet, I, like I said, I encourage everybody to pick it up. Um, and it, it'll probably fit great in a stocking <laughs> for this time of year. Um, but it's what, like 258 pages. Yeah. I think with, with like the, the title page and all that, that's about where it's at. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that just seems like, um, you know, a, a, a Herculean endeavor. And so you, you had this idea and you, I think you just said you had it for a few years before you really decided to like uh, pitch an artist on it. Yeah. It's, I, I call it my career book because I, I started November of 2014 is when I, I was a year out of college and I was like, I'm going to seriously pursue comics. Um, because I'd, I'd written a short for a friend's anthology um, that he'd asked me to do, and, and the anthology never happened, but I, I pursued, that became my first book that I kickstarted. Um, but throughout 2015, I was just writing miniseries, like doing, doing the work of, of, of developing my skills. Um, and I had this idea, and it, it, it came from, uh, there was a teppanyaki restaurant that, I really, that we really liked in Raleigh, um, which for oh, anyone I love knows, Raleigh. Yeah, that's where uh, they. That's that's when they like make the food right in front of you, and you yeah, yeah, yeah. shrimp in the pocket, all of that. And I, I have just friends in be, Raleigh. Sorry, uh, I I have friends in Raleigh, and I love I love the city of Raleigh. So. Yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah, I was I was there for eight years uh, in college and and after, and um, just the the performance art of it made me think this would be really fun if they if they transition these tricks to the battlefield, and I think overall the idea got bigger from there but that was like the original inspiration of like i think it'd be fun if they were fighting monsters as part of the show right and then immediately transitioning it um and yeah i developed it for a few years there was a different artist originally attached that it didn't work out and then uh vivian came on and it helped with the specificity and and developing the characters because um i wanted i didn't want to write from like a Japanese character perspective, but what I could write from more generally was the idea of being second generation, which I think is a bit more of a universal experience of having a culture that you're connected to, but not necessarily, you're not living in it every day, especially if you are like, I'm, I'm half white. So it's, it's a mixed, you're getting both. And obviously if you live in America, the white half gets a lot more <laughs> play and focus than my like Palestinian half. Oh, so yeah. I wanted sure. to play to that idea of do you integrate and assimilate? Are you how much do you do you hold on to? Um, so it's important that yeah we wanted to be fun and big action, and Vivian does a great job at that. But we wanted to also speak to our personal experiences um, because uh, that, that's what's important about storytelling is making it personal, making it specific because uh, that's what people connect to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, so. You know, starting in 2014 or 2015, I mean, were you, you know, were you working on it like at, at, at times in terms of the script? Were you scripting it? Were you outlining it? Like when you finally, you know, if you ha had a different artist attached initially and then when you and Vivian 
you know, finally connected. Um, like, did you have a completed script or like what stage were you at at that point? So at the point Vivian came on, I had, there is a, I always call it, there's a, the star Wars level first script of like the, the original draft that is completely different with, with very different characters, different approaches to the story, a whole different vibe. Um, and it was originally written as a miniseries, which is what Vivian and I continued to develop it as. Um, but when Vivian came on, we really just rebroke the whole story. Um, oh, wow. And it was, to me, it was more, here's the general idea of what I want to do. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of that original version still in there. But uh, I think just as I grew as a writer, right? Because, I mean, I can look at those old scripts and be like, I wrote these in my first year of writing comics. They're not good scripts. Um, uh, but the ideas are things that we would build off of, or if there was a monster idea. Uh, but yeah, it was it was very much just Vivian and I talking about what sort of characters we'd want to do. Um, we had Danny Lore was our developmental editor, so they helped a lot with sculpting the characters. Olivia, who's the main rival um, in the first book, is uh, wouldn't exist without Danny's input. Uh, they, oh, they helped a, okay. lot, a lot in helping us determine the. The, the supporting cast. Um, okay. So again, I think it's just, it's been a very collaborative effort up until, and then even when we got to IDW, our new editor, uh, our first editor, Erica Turner, who acquired us, did a lot of work um, in shifting it to a graphic novel. Cause this is when IDW was first going towards originals. And they were like, we want to do more graphic novel stuff. Do you want to do this as a graphic novel instead of a mini series? Um, which we did because it was a lot more pages and we could, we could let it actually breathe. <laughs> so it's, it's changed a lot. Um, but I mean, I, I think that's developing com and that's keeping it alive too. I mean, um, I think pitches can just exist for years. Um, and, and then finally hit, I think you see that a lot with a lot of books that, that people talk about where it's like, yeah, I worked on this for Five years and nobody wanted it, but we kept we kept tweaking it and and new opportunities came up. And that's uh, sort of like we 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 pitched this with an agent for like a year and nobody wanted it. And then we just did a pit mad, like one of the last ones in December of 2020. It was after the the like the year with the agent had ended. I was like, I'm just going to put it up. We'll see what happens. And it just so happened. That's when IDW was like, yeah, we're looking for original now. So. Wow. Um. <laughs> like an amazing like uh, journey to get from the uh, those beginnings to here um you know in, in terms of you as a writer is it was it difficult at all for you to think well i have all this story or i have all this work done and now we're gonna re-break it like are you um maybe precious is the wrong word but protective of any of it or thinking well i already laid all this groundwork um you know not that any time you spend writing is like wasted time, but to think that, you know, we're going to, um, you know, have to re-break certain aspects of it or change it all around. Like, is that, or, you know, uh, are you nimble enough to kind of handle that? Does that have an issue for you? Or were you just excited to, you know, have somebody else who like Vivian excited about the project? Oh yeah. I was just excited to have someone else excited. Uh, especially <laughs> since this was, I mean, th this was my first big, acquisition i'd done a few things with smaller publishers um but i mean th this was oh it's idw like i knew they are a name they are in bookstores I, like i was like oh this is a real publisher um and we you know 
the the thing for me is always I never th- I mean I I think I am a good writer or else I wouldn't be be trying to make this a career uh or doing this but I don't think I'm perfect I I think that especially with writing you get in your own head and when you live with something long enough it is very easy not to put stuff on the page or miss things that are just so clear to you that you know, an editor or an, uh, a sensitivity reader or someone else is going to come in and be like, actually, this isn't clear. This needs clarification. So I'm always happy to re-break. Um, the one upside, like we did, uh, Erica left IDW at the end of book one, and we had, a, we had a new editorial team with Megan Brown and Jake Williams for book two. And the thing I did like about that, while I hated losing Erica, was they came in with fresh eyes and they were able to point out a lot of stuff that maybe even Erica had been taking for granted for, at that point because we'd been working on it for over a year. Um, so I'm just very welcoming to outside voices. Um, and I just, I, I, the, the rebreaking process, again, the fact that we were getting to expand, it helped a lot. Like we did what was finished at the time that we got acquired was the, we, we had a first issue and like a second issue edited and scripted. So I think that equated to maybe 44 pages. And that was like the f- two phases of their their placement exam. So it was like, oh, instead we get to expand it to about 56 pages. We get to add new scenes. It doesn't have to be so breakneck. So I just appreciate it, again, getting to let stuff breathe and, and go at a, ni- at a slightly less breakneck pace. All right, let's take a quick break. What in the Sam Hill is happening right now? What is that? Yeah, what is that? You like bards? Yeah, what is that? Oh, you like band of bards. It's not my fault, you mumble. That makes sense. They're dropping some great new series right now. There's that one about a heavy metal guitarist in the 1970s with monsters, working class wizards. You know how we love monsters around here. And my friend Dakota Brown, he's working on a project, uh, Grandma Tilly's Hell Tech Mech with Lane Lloyd. I saw the preview for that. That is crazy. Jimmy even contributed to their anthology from the static and had Matt Sumo on the podcast to talk about his project, The Bardic Verses, which makes a lot of sense that the project landed there. Where can you find them? You need to get out more. They are in previews or you can visit their website, bandabars.com, for all the latest. Can we turn the music off now? Thank you. No more surprises. Minstrels or anything like that, or I'll rent you out to the Ren Fair as a children's ride. Let's get back to the show. In terms of your pace, uh, you know, um, the funny thing is that the it's the book itself still moves along. Like it feels a, a, still a bit like a, a breakneck pace in terms of like l- the reading experience, which I, I, you know, I, I think you, um, you know, for anyone that might be like, oh, this is like a pretty, you know, sizable book. Like, if it were single issues, it would be what, like twelve or so, and you know, thirteen, and or you know, to like a a maxi series. But it it really, really moves, um, which I thought was great uh, because there's still so much character development um, in it, and it not in a way that's ever like you know exposition heavy. Um, they just, I think, a credit to both you and and Vivian, um, in terms of your writing and uh, her visual storytelling, that these characters come across like really clear. Yeah, I, I think, um, and sometimes it was it was a problem sometimes editorially because I'd be like, because Vivian and I have talked so much, there would be parts of the script right, I'd be a little light on detail, but I knew I was like, no, Vivian's gonna 
not not in a punting way. Like I wasn't trying to like put off the work, but I was like, no, Vivian right. knows the character. She knows the vibe of the scene. I I was like, I sometimes I would have to be like, no, I need to be a little more detailed because this is being read by someone who hasn't been working on it for five years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just one of the. <laughs> It's really one of the better, like I've had, honestly, I've been very lucky. I have not had many bad collaborative experiences. Um, but the reason I kept with this book, so, well, one, we both believed in it. I think it would have been entirely reasonable after a few years if Vivian had been, um, you know, needed to move on or stop thinking about it. But we just both believed in the idea and we we never wanted to give up on it. And we, uh it was one of those books where we were considering if we have to take this to Kickstarter and do like a first chapter, we were, we were, I think about at that point. Um, I'm glad we didn't because while I love Kickstarter and started my career, it is, it is the most exhausting process running a Kickstarter. Um, so yeah. yeah, we, we just, we really lived with the characters for so long. We know them really well. Um, and, and I, yeah, I'm glad it comes across on the page that nothing feels too, exposition heavy I, I think that is always a trick is making sure things get revealed but that they feel natural yeah um i, I definitely think that is the case uh because there were just so many elements of it that i thought it just were handled that so well done that i thought um it was going to go maybe a different way and i was just always really surprised by um the dialogue especially early on and like the first third of it or so any of the scenes with hannah and olivia i just thought they read so well um because it would be so easy to make it maybe even more confrontational than it was or it, it just just felt very natural um I, I just i really loved it i'm glad and again that's one that's another thing where i'm going to credit danny's input erica's input and um Jasmine Walls, who was our sensitivity reader on book two, because one of the big things is we wanted Olivia to be the rival that ties into like the narrative, but it was also very important. Something that Danny pointed out and on through was we didn't ever want to fall into tropes of like angry black girl. Um, and so that was another important thing of like making sure that never came across that, that everyone was justified in how they're feeling. Cause that, that is a lot of conflict, right? It's like most times you can, we wanted it to be that you can see why each side is mad. Um, and you can see why we we didn't want there to be like, oh, this is a villain. Um, that maybe gets there with with their childhood bully Damiano. He's maybe a bit more of a yeah. Villain. I don't even there. I, I don't like I don't like Damiano. Yeah, but even there, we <laughs> wanted to make sure there were human elements, right? Because it's you know these are kids, and ultimately they're still at that point in life where you hope they can turn it around if they are a jerk, if they are rude, if they do have racist tendencies. Um, yeah. that's the ideal hope of, again, a school like this, where you get to experience, like, that's why college towns tend to be more blue and more accepting is because you actually have exposure to these other cultures that you are otherwise just hearing about secondhand. Oh yeah. I mean that, yeah, makes a lot of sense, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I just really loved it. Uh, so I can't, I'm excited. So it's still that there's going to be, you know, two more. Um, yeah. I think is great. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, you know, I think you mentioned this, it, or you, maybe you and, and Vivian, you know, in terms of some of the influences in the written interview with Cody, but, um, uh, being a fan of like cooking competition shows or having like some type of like influence there, not just the, 
Raleigh teppanyaki restaurant, but that idea of like the competition and, and, you know, cause there is, there is certainly, even though the, the students are, you know, training together and working together, there's always some, you know, element of competition. Like I didn't do as well as somebody else and those types of things. But, um, I just thought that was just such an interesting twist on taking the idea of a cooking competition show and putting it, you know, to this, to this level. Um, cause as far as I know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, think they've yet matched uh whether or not it's like a cooking competition show and survivor but i think that's <laughs> where uh nobody's done great british bake-off meats naked and afraid <laughs> <laughs> no i mean yeah that element's very much in there it's still something if if we get more books i definitely have i want to bring that i i i want to do my tournament arc right like it does manga inspired <laughs> i want that tournament arc energy yeah um, so that that's yeah we're pulling from two different things but i do think go well together because like cooking competition shows do a really good job the good ones sell you the personalities they show you all these different people from different walks of life um and i think generally are a little i'm not gonna say better but are different from shows like survivor just because they don't tend to be villains on cooking shows sometimes there are people that that clearly suck or a little full of themselves but i also think um they're a bit more collaborative and a bit more it is a competition but people at least as presented on screen because you never know it's reality tv but yeah uh, the narratives are a bit nicer right it also depends on like which show you're watching i feel like something like the great british baking show um i, I think it has a tendency to be more diverse than maybe some of the american cooking shows but also i think is less focused on there being a villain. Whereas a show like top chef, I feel like they have to make somebody out to be a villain in the editing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so well, let's turn to what I usually like to talk about, or at least make our way um, with the, the cryptid creator corner. Um, why, why storytelling at all? Like how did you, you find your way to want to be, to want to tell stories? It, I, it was, it, I look back and it feels like an inevitability, um, because I started in fifth grade. I did like a lot of just for me, like fan fiction stories. And then by seventh grade, I was posting on fanfiction.net and I did that for three or four years. Um, and then in high school, I started writing more original stuff. I did Nano Remo a few times and have some very terrible <laughs> novel drafts that I wrote. Um, and then throughout high school and even into college, um, I was a big fan of of a lot of 2000s webtoons. Um, Bob and George, Penny Arcade, 8-Bit, Masterpiece Theater, Bit Theater, I'm forgetting, it's been a long time. Uh, but stuff like that where it was daily sh comics that had these ongoing narratives. And I drew my own stick figure comic because I couldn't draw really well, but I, I could draw stick figures. I My friends liked reading them. Uh, but until maybe like junior, senior year, I wanted to do, as a kid, I wanted to be either a dentist and then I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, so well, as a lawyer, it's not all it's cracked up. To be. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I was creating without realizing I needed that outlet. It, it's just something that was always there and I was always creating stuff. And then I started taking more creative writing classes in, uh, I think we had an elective creative writing class junior year of high school. And there was a creative writing club. 
And I, when it came time to pick colleges, I was like, I'll try writing. But it never, even with the fan fiction I wrote, it was very short. I never clicked with prose, but I did four years and, and did poetry workshops, screenwriting classes a little bit, because um, I have a film minor. But I was still reading comics. I was still making my stick figure comic. It did not occur to me that, oh, I could do comics. Because again, there's no real, maybe there's more of one now at, at a few more colleges, but certainly in 2009, there wasn't much in terms of like, oh, here's a comics writing course. It was like, it is incidental to every other kind of writing. Right. Um, okay. And then I had, because uh, I continued writing, I did, I was a writer and then features editor for Technician, uh, which was the, is the NCSU student newspaper. And we had a, a comics, he did editorial comics. And, and like I said, he was putting together an anthology. And that's kind of where I met a lot of the local comics creators in Raleigh. And I did that over my summer after I graduated and sort of played around with the idea. And then finally I was, I was because I majored in creative writing, I did not have a good job out of college. <laughs> um, so I was working, uh, you know, small jobs. I did like seasonal Toys R Us. And then I ended up, uh, I ended up with a pretty steady job. I did um, student tutoring at a community college okay. uh, for a few years. But once I was kind of steady and I had a steady source of income, I was like, you know, I liked writing that script. Let me rewrite it. Let me, because uh, he had edited it too. I hadn't a chance to work with an editor and, and have the work, you know, the flaws. So I just kept working on it. And I found an artist through DeviantArt, which was Rem Brew, who we, we ended up doing Terminal Protocol. I kickstarted it. Uh, and just sort of at that point, I was like, I've been making comics for years for basically just myself of doing these daily stick figure comics. Um, and so I was like, maybe I can I can transition. And so even when I was trying to do other things or looking at other ways, it's just I, I've always wanted to tell stories. I, I and I, I think the important thing, like most comic creators will, will tell you, you have to do it for the love of it. Uh, the fact that I did it for so many years just for myself. Uh, is is the reason I can now go out there and, and spin because it is a very long, it's an isolating job. You maybe have the audience of the artist you're working with for the longest time. Um, and it's just, it, it's it's what I love doing. I love the community now. I've met, I'd say mo pretty much all of my adult friends are, are through comics at this point because uh, it's all online, but it, it's such a vibrant community of people. Uh, so So even if, even if I needed to to find another job and do a day job, I don't think I could ever fully give it up. And I certainly wouldn't leave the community just because I've been reading comics since I was a kid. Um, and it's just my favorite storytelling medium. I love the collaboration. Yeah. So um, like so when you when you were when you were younger and writing fan fiction, when you started, what were you writing fan fiction about? Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was number one. OK, uh, I think. Especially if anyone follows me on social media, I, I very much would like to work on Sonic someday. That is the first comic I ever read uh, was the Archie Sonic. Um, and I read that faithfully through like its cancellation. Uh, and now I read the IDW stuff because I, I just love the character. Um, I'm trying to think. I also wrote uh, Mega Man stuff. I wrote, I think I wrote a Shaun of the Dead fan fiction because I loved that movie. Oh, wow. Um, so it was That's a little all over the place. Movie. Again, yeah. it was very short, and it's very much a seventh grader, a seventh eighth grader's writing level. Um, but it is where I learned 
uh, again, loving writing, reading, and and even then, I yeah. it wasn't a bigger. It was a much smaller community of creators that I, I knew there, but I just really liked the camaraderie of it. Um, and so uh, that's why I also have enjoyed. I haven't done a lot of IP work yet, but uh, but it, it it harkens back to that and and mm-hmm. getting to feel like I'm a kid again in some ways. So I've right. enjoyed what little bit I've done so far. I hope I'm hoping there's more on the horizon. So in terms of storytelling and, you know, wanting to write and enjoying writing and, and reading comics, um, were you someone either like a, as a kid or had either like an adult influence that was a really good, like verbal, like storyteller that you, there was something about it that you enjoyed or was it more so that you, you know, the stuff that you consumed and you liked being able to, you know, uh, even if it was just for yourself to, you know, walk in those worlds and and create something. I think, I mean, I was just, I was a very imaginative kid. My mom was very encouraging of that. Um, and, and bless her because some of the projects I, <laughs> one of the things I did is I used to, I got a video camera one Christmas um, because I wanted to make movies and my movies consisted of me recording myself, like playing with my action figures and, Yes. voicing that <laughs> and my mom was very kind to watch them all uh they were not good but they were very important to me um so i i just i liked expressing and i mean part of it was i was a i was a shy kid i didn't spend we, i also moved around a good bit my parents got divorced when i was in first grade and then we moved again when i was in third grade um i went to a middle school where not a lot of people from my, like elementary school went to so i just I would say from elementary to high school, I switched schools. I had five different schools total. So, oh wow, um, it's hard to make friends until maybe high school when I finally settled and was there for four years. Uh, so storytelling was, you know, it was the escape. It was a way for me to create, uh, to to have have things that were mine that I could go back to, um, and. It it's just always been it, like I said. It's like an outlet. I it's yeah. I have to be making something or or i'm just feeling like i'm I'm standing way too still and you know having um done something like this now with cooking with monsters and then looking forward to you know book two book three um what have you you know felt in terms of the marketing aspect of comics and having to you know, work with IDW and like market yourself and thinking about like the con experience, like what, what has that been from, you know, making something on your own or kickstarting it to now where we are, where you are uh, with cooking with monsters. It's, it's, it's tricky to say, cause I, the, the, the tough thing is I, I sometimes wonder if someone asked, how do I get into comics now? It's, it's a lot harder just because the apparatus that existed in 2014, you know, it's being actively destroyed. <laughs> Social media is not what it was. So in terms of marketing, um, I would say I, I, I'd like to think I have a bigger audience than I ever have had. But because social media has gotten so um, antithetical to the idea of free marketing, it, it can be hard to feel like you're making a dent. Um, yeah. on, the, on the flip side, it's it's been... Uh, I, I mean, credit to IDW because I, I still, I don't have like a frame of reference. This is my first big OGN, so I'm like, I think it's doing well. Like on the metrics I can see and get, um, but they've put a lot of work in. They they did a big push of like helping set up interviews and podcasts. They dedicated 
their one of their entire trick or read. They did a bestiary special that was just like for promoting this book. Yeah. So uh, the publisher believing in it has been hugely inspirational uh, because uh, I, I've done Vivian and I both have done a lot to try to get the word out, but um, they they've been a huge help as well. And then just doing things on my own, I am preparing for my first Kickstarter in or my first personal Kickstarter because I do I write a book for Altruist Comics that they kickstart um, and I promote that, but I don't run it. So this is the first Kickstarter I'll be running is is coming out in March. And it's been two and a half years since I did a Kickstarter. I'm worried what social media advertising is going to be like. Um, and it's always different because comics are interesting because every book I've done pretty much has had a different artist with a different audience. So I, I just kind of have to plan for, I mean, that's the, the prudent advice, right? Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Um, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Stuff. I mean, some things when I talk to different creators and this is, you know, there's no... I don't have any studies, so this is mostly anecdotal, but from creators that I've talked to who kickstart books, it, it, it still seems like even if you're not getting a response on social media, it still seems like the metrics show that most of the followers are, or backers of, of the campaign are still coming from within, you know, Kickstarter yeah. itself. So um, really seems like there's a push to, you know, have pre-launch followers and try and get that project we love stamp and all those things so it seems like at least as far as crowdfunding and kickstarter are concerned a lot of that stuff remains consistent in terms of yeah. drawing folks in from kickstarter itself um can you talk about and it's fine if you can't because uh i don't know if you're ready to uh what project you have coming out in march so um what what i can say it is it's a book with skylar patridge it's um we were all right we were I, one of the books, unfortunately. Hand you my money there. now. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were one of the books. We were actually picked up by ADW. We were one of the books canceled in their sort of restructuring uh, okay. a few months ago. Yeah. And uh, we went back out. We pitched it around. It uh, unfortunately didn't get any bites. So um, we've teased it a lot on Kickstarter over the years because it is another book we've been working on for like five years. Um, but it is a, you know, spy. it's an erotic spy thriller. Um, okay. which I mean, Kickstarter is very strong with, with adult work, but I mean, not that we want it. it. It's not a smut book, but it is, it is sexy. It is charged. Um, and while, while <laughs> again, neither of us want to be on Kickstarter, it is hard coming from, Oh, we had a publisher, we were in production. Um, but the plus side is a lot of the work for at least the first few issues is done. We're in a position where we feel confident that, if nothing else, we we are we are confident we're going to fund, but our hope is that either it'll attract a new audience of of potential publisher interest, or we'll just do well enough that we can make it on our own without having to uh, yeah. stress about it. Because um, the real downside of a cancellation is you you've you've set aside the time for it, right? Which is a bigger issue for uh, Skylar than me because we were so far ahead on scripting. Um, but that was like her whole fall was working on this book. So we, yeah. we wanted to pivot as much as possible to try to find a new home right away or, or get it back out there. Um, but again, we're very confident in the book. I think it is nice. Like we know pretty much for a fact, it's like everything was canceled. So it's not like it was a quality issue. It was just the restructuring. It was just a business decision with their, you know, IDW's originals line. And a lot of folks were unfortunately, you know, caught in that. I don't, I don't know any of the, the details in terms of the restructuring of the business. And I, I've, you know, seen some articles about some of the behind the scenes, but yeah, 
it doesn't have anything to do with the the book itself. You found yourself in the unfortunate position as a lot of other creators, but yeah, okay. So you, Skylar Patridge, and an erotic spy thriller. All right. Well, I I I don't think I can press back fast enough <laughs> on my keyboard or phone. To be honest with you, that, that's our hope. We're hoping for that response. <laughs> We're hoping it'll it'll be big enough that we can feel uh, yeah. better about it because again it it's it's we're doing all the planning now and if you want to run a good kickstarter there's just so many things you have to make sure you're considering or else you're going to end up uh short on money and disappointing people and and that is the last thing either of us want to do yeah yeah um all right well i'll, I'll look look for that in march <laughs> i'll make sure to put in the show notes uh links to your social media for anyone who's, you know, list our listeners who want to check that out. Um, Skylar Patridge, it, one of the, I mean, I've, I've been doing this for two years now, but Skylar was, uh, I had one, was on an episode a, a while ago, I, I think, because I was such a fan of uh, Resonant, uh, that DB Andrew wrote with Vald, who had, there was a different artist in the first arc, but I believe Skylar came in for the yeah. second arc, which was phenomenal. And then, um, you know, Skylar ends up doing work on uh, the Amazons <laughs> and a uh, bunch of other stuff. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, you're going to get my money, Jordan, so <laughs> for what it's worth. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, no, it's very exciting. And again, I, I always like to stress because it is um, Skylar. I, I, she's really the first author because we're, we're co-writing it and she's doing the art. So I'm scripting, but I, I very much feel like uh, again, it's a passion project in the way that, that Vivian and I had with cooking, where we we've just we've been working on it for years. Um, part of which was just Skylar got super justifiably super busy, um, and it took a long time to get the pitch pages done. But um, we're just excited to finally get it out there. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right, I was going to ask you if there's anything else to talk about, but it, it sounds like you got a, a a pretty full full plate coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working. Fortunately, I have other things behind the scenes that'll hopefully be announced in the next few months. Um, and a lot of pitches. Um, I've I've been I was away from pitching for the longest time because I had three big books that were kind of taking all my attention. But I have um, three new pitches in development that will hopefully be going out early in the new year. Um, it's, it's a weird time in the market. It, it feels like it's definitely been a contraction period. Um, cause not just IDW, but comiXology shuttering, um, yeah. other publishers getting a little more gun shy about, um, just, just not even, I would say doing new projects, but doing long projects. We're getting a lot, it feels like a lot more short books. Um, and so it's an interesting time, but the market's still alive. Obviously comics are still doing well. It's, it's just, um, I'm I'm hoping there's still a lot of life and and I hope I have new books in development next year. Yeah. Well, I do too. And I mean I I I hope you do too. And I I think there is still plenty of life in 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 comics. It's just whether or not um you know, it's there's a bigger YA market or people are, you know, especially younger kids are turning towards like uh more of, you know, manga or different types of books, but they're there are so many folks out there who are still into comics and buying comics and reading comics in one shape, uh, you know, for, shape or form or another, whether or not it's physical or digital. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's, a, I've, I've said this, I think I've, this is my 
I don't know. I'm closing in on a, like the 100th episode I've recorded. And I think every single episode I've probably said it is the best time to be a fan of comics. Cause no matter what you are into, it's there's something out there that you can find and read and fall in love with whether or not it's, you know, uh, teenage kids, uh, dealing with xenophobia and their own interpersonal conflicts and, cooking with monsters or it's a erotic spy thriller. Uh, so, I mean, look, you know, it's a, uh, something for everyone. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it really is. It's a great time. The thing I, I always, I, and it, I think it comes down to publishers, hopefully pushing more or, or finding new markets, especially with YA as popular as it is. I think the common refrain is like, okay, what are they going to read once they've grown up? We still kind of need that bridging. Um, it's the credit I give. I, I really like to, to, credit DC in terms of actually doing a good job of, of reaching across markets. And even when their initiatives fail, they're still doing a lot of things to try to, to bring in new readers. Um, and I, I think those are the initiatives that really need to exist is, is just publishers believing in the work enough to, to make those pushes. Cause the, the audience is there. People, people want comics. Um, and, and yeah, I hope, I hope to, to give them that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I think in terms of like, even I've seen it with my own two kids who are six and 11. And I think comics has helped a lot of, uh, in terms of them learning, you know, how to read, you know, first, you know, I read to them and they associate, you know, the pictures and the words. So contextually they're, they're, they're starting to absorb what those words mean. And, you know, they, it, I think it helps in terms of both of them learning how to read. And I think they, you know, want to read different types of stories, then they'll branch out and they'll find the stuff that they love. Uh, they, it's not the same things, you know, I'm an old man, so it's not the same things I read, but they're still both into graphic novels and comic books and manga. And um, yeah, and if, if they, you know, they're, they'll grow up with it. I mean, just like me, at some point I turned and I was reading a lot of, you know, more novels and different things throughout school, but, you know, I found my way back to comics and I, I think that happens to folks sometimes, but um, as long as publishers are still willing to take chances and um, especially take chances on more longer form storytelling, I think, you know, it's, I was just talking about this with someone else, how a book like something is killing the children is up to, I think issues in their, it's their thirties. And that just doesn't happen too much anymore. Not in, not in, uh, you know, uh, indie comics uh, in terms of you know western comics yeah it's um it's 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 always interesting because i want you know you have what you grew up with i would love to have a long run on a book um but yeah does the market support that not as much as it used to um but again that's also why i like doing graphic novels because um the market is still there for multi-volume series there and you can have longer works um, the pacing is different and there are certain things you can't, that, that a monthly lets you do that other formats can't. So I still hope that I, I can do that kind of book one day, but I'm just glad that the, the art form persists and the, that there are ways for new people to get into it. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I'm, I'm glad that you're still in it and, and making books in it because, uh, cooking with monsters was a joy and I, I can't wait to see what you have coming out with Skylar in March. So very excited. Thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, Jordan, I, you know, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's, I, I love getting to to talk about 
the work. It's it's I, I just love it. It's pa- it's my passion. <laughs> well, um, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes. I encourage everyone um, to check out Cooking with Monsters. Uh, and look, don't be scared off if you see that it's like YA and like you're a fully grown adult like me. I'm I'm 44 years old. I'm a personal injury attorney. I loved it. Uh, I just thought it was not only big action and vibrant and fun and an interesting story. I loved these characters' uh, relationships, and it's it's something I can't wait to share with uh, my uh, 11-year-old. I think she's going to absolutely love it. So, uh, yeah, please check out Cooking with Monsters. Follow Jordan uh, on social media, and be sure to, you know, uh, if uh, an erotic spy thriller co-written and drawn by Skylar Patridge is uh, your thing, then, you know, be on the lookout for it when it hits in March, because I bet uh, I bet it's going to fun quick. So uh, you're not going to want to miss it. But uh, Jordan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. And again, shout out to my brother, Bobby, Cryptic Creator Corner's number one most dedicated fan. He listens to all my episodes. Um, I, other listeners are probably annoyed with me saying that, but I'm going to keep doing it. Makes Bobby happy. <laughs> and like I said, he does listen to all my episodes. That's not nothing, guys. <laughs> so, um, all right. Uh, for Comic Book Yeti, I'm Jimmy Gasparro. If you uh, like the podcast, rate, review us, uh, do all those things that they they say you should do to podcast. It really does help. And um, you know, we don't get paid for this. We do this because we love it. And and you know, I'm half Italian, a quarter Irish, and a quarter golden retriever. So I need to be told that I've done a good job. Um, uh, I will see everyone uh, next time. Thank you very much. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.